here we go. Well, we've got Philippians 10 that's on the screen. I want you to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Then it says, following Paul's example, all of us then who are mature should take a view of things. If on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Then it says, closing, appeal for steadfastness and unity. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Stephanie. And uh, yes, we have moved from Ephesians to Philippians. And uh, last week, uh, Mus uh, beautifully opened up for us, didn't he? Ephesians 4, uh, showing us what is to glorify God, to live in unity, to serve in diversity. And the reason we do all of that is to grow in maturity. I hope you're encouraged and challenged. And, and as you were thinking this week, how you might live that out, praying that God would work that, not just in you, but in all of us. Uh, it's been my great prayer this week. And it was so encouraging, wasn't it? Because it's, it's a call to give God our best, not our leftovers. It's a call to, as it says in Romans 12, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's to live the Christian life as God has called us. Uh, it's powerful and stirring stuff. And it's a great way to introduce not only Mus and uh, the ministry that we're doing here this year, um, but it's a great lead into where we're going here in Philippians uh, this term. Uh, today is all about introducing you to Philippians and uh, where we're going. And uh, Philippians uh, is an incredibly uh, a pretty helpful letter for us uh, to be spending time on week by week over this term. Uh, it's one of the most uh, challenging and helpful letters that we've got in the New Testament because we begin to see how to live out the Christian life together. If you go to the next slide um, for me, thanks, Colin. teaches us that together we can have courage, confidence and joy in Christ. And these are all the things that the world is 
smashing us on. These are all the things that we're being um, pushed away from day by day. These are the temptations uh, that, that we're, we're, we're drawn away from in so many ways. But, but Philippians shows us how we can do that together, together in partnership. It's a beautiful letter. It's got this joyful spirit in Philippians, this kind of warm affection. It's kind of a thank you note to, to his friends for their generosity, and, uh, and, and it and exudes that, that warmth and that grace and that partnership in the gospel of Jesus. And uh, it's all centred, and if you just see uh, on the next slide, on that uh, Christ hymn, uh, you probably can't read all of that, um, but I, in, the, in the weekly email, which I'm, I'm sure you've had a look at, there was a link there to the Bible Project, and it just gives you this fantastic overview and shows you how all the letter hangs together and is centred on that incredible Christ hymn, what it is to have the same attitude as Jesus. The incarnation, the death, the resurrection, the exaltation of Christ and what that means for us. It's this incredible centrepiece to the most beautiful, warm letter. And Paul's really wrapping them and us with his warm embrace in this letter. It's a great way to bring us together as we gather for this new year, I feel like there's a new sense of hope. There's a renewed sense of optimism of where we're going and what's happening, not just in our community, but in our churches and in where we are heading together in our partnership. Last year, as we, we looked at how we're going to do this, how are we going to see renewal in East Linfield, uh, in the Sydney, in Australia, in the world, we looked at how Paul uh, went to the different growth groups and visited and, and shared with uh, different groups. Uh, and we looked at how, what happened when Paul went to Philippi. You remember that, those of you who were there? Uh, Paul went to Philippi. And uh, in that map, you'll see uh, on, that, uh, on your sermon outline, I've put a little map there just to remind you. This was uh, his second missionary journey. He lands in the city, if you remember, and... He, uh, we see three great converts, Lydia, the slave girl, and the Philippian jailer. Remember those? And we saw how, how God works, how the city is reached for Christ. And so there's this warm affection that Paul has for this uh, great little church in Philippi. In many ways, they're the model church for us. They're the model church for our partnership. Uh, there are some churches in the New Testament you don't want to be modelling yourselves on. The Corinthians, for example, and others. But the Philippians, yes. And this deep affection that comes from this letter, I think, is a great model for our partnership. And as we, as we move on that journey to, to amalgamate, to, to bring our, our ministries, our ministry team, all the things we're doing together. Because church, the church in Philippi is a model church driven by the gospel, centred on Christ, just as this letter is in that Christ hymn. And uh, uh, as we closed off 2020 and as we begun 2021, uh, we had, it was a really joyful time for me, gathering with the, the wardens at parish councils, thinking about where we're going and, and where, where we've been and where we're going. Uh, gathering together our, our combined ministry team. Now, we've got some photos here. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We had two, uh, two, two meetings together uh, in December and January. So what you can see there is that there's, uh, there's 10 of us there who are on the team. This is our ministry team together. And uh, we were very capably led by Anand. Where is Anand? I've just, uh, oh, there he is. 
Anand uh, brings great skill uh, and uh, experience, uh, not only from his time in management, but he's been a warden and, and he's been around churches a long time and he gathered us and uh, we're able to not only onboard our new ministry team members, and uh, it's really nice, by the way, just to see Andrew and Sophie, and we'll, uh, I think we're meeting them a little bit later on, right, Moose? Okay, so yeah, you guys will get introduced in a moment, but uh, you'll see Andrew there, and um, uh, so... Uh, while we farewelled Avril uh, as a student minister last year, we've, we've welcomed Musantalia and three new student ministers. And uh, next week, I'll be sharing exactly how kind of the team will be working together and how we're working across our congregations and our ministries and our churches, working together so that we can be better together, that we can do more for the gospel together so that we can grow together. And not only we, we were getting, not only were we getting to know each other, we were really making clear... Uh, the vision, the values, uh, and how it is we're going to work together as a team and to lead the ministries that God has given us and do that in partnership with all of our people to learn and to listen and to work together. Uh, and I have to tell you, um, from my point of view, uh, I was kind of chuffed. You know, I, I was kind of I was so excited uh, to gather together and, and, and chat to Anand afterwards. You can ask him about it as well. But it, was, it wasn't a terrific Anand, really, just, just that sense of uh, the gathering. And, um, you know, we welcomed the newbies on board and, you know, we, we, there, there was such an energy and enthusiasm um, and there's, there's a youthful enthusiasm too that's, that, that's come into what we're doing and where we're going. And it was a chance for us to plan out the year together, to think about the key things that we're doing this year around building teams and uh, how are we going to grow our partnership and move through this, this uh, process that we're working on towards amalgamation? And, and how do we do that well together? And what's exciting is, uh, well, you're going to have to stay tuned for next week. Next week, we're going to launch the vision and the, and, and the growing partnership pattern. And uh, over the next few weeks, uh, you know, I'll be meeting with the wardens uh, as we kind of map out together how we, how we want to see that look together uh, with the growth group leaders, how we're going to use the growth groups this year so that everyone's got a voice and everyone's got a part to play in setting what do we want 9 o'clock to be? What do we want this ministry to be? How do we want this developing youth? Everyone is going to have a buy-in to that and uh, we, we're going to use the growth groups to do that. We're going to, um, you're going to see a big change in the way we do even things like the rosters and the team, moving from rosters to teams and the way we set up our ministries and develop our leaders and all those kind of things. So more of that next week. But I want to say that's why we're in Philippians. It, it speaks of this prayerful partnership of courage and confidence and joy and it's so helpful for us as we go on this journey together. And all the different aspects and subjects of this letter point to two themes. You'll see them on the screen behind me. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the community of Christ and how they come together as one. Because that is the kind of church we want to be. We want to be God's church, centered on the gospel and having that community that shines the gospel of Christ into a dark world. We want to see people saved for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, how do we get this? This, uh, just you can go to the next slide. The, the uh, confidence, the courage, the joy. How do we take action? How do we? How do we? How do we? How do we do this together? How do we glorify God in all that we do? Well, I think some of the most motiveful, motivating, powerful, life-changing verses I know in the Bible come in 
the Bible reading we had in Philippians 3. What's going to power us on? What's going to motivate us? What's going to be the engine that drives this forward for us personally and as a church? It's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You see uh, there, you can see now, you can follow along the uh, sermon outline there and take notes there. Philippians 3, uh, 10 says, I want to know Christ to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like Jesus in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. This is the Christian life, says the Apostle Paul. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all of this, but what do I do? This is what this letter is so powerful at teaching us, and this is the motivation See, so have a look at these are the key verses here. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have already taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to pray at this point because I think we need to pray that God would let us take this uh, attitude, this focus into our lives and into our church this year. We join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, these are incredible words of confidence, courage and joy. And as we look at them now briefly, as we unpack these, we pray that you would really embed them in our hearts as we begin this year, as we think about the ministries ahead of us and the plan ahead of us. Give us a focus, give us um, a warmth and a fellowship and a passion modelled on the Apostle Paul, modelled on the Lord Jesus Christ. To your glory. Amen. See, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it's all about focus, hence the magnifying glass, in case you're wondering what that is. Uh, Maybe like uh, when you were a child like me, you used to have a magnifying glass at home, and I used to go out in the backyard on those really steaming hot days like we've had, uh, and uh, I used to love getting that magnifying glass, and I wasn't allowed to have it anywhere near my sisters and torture them at any And What I was allowed to do, though, was to go out and get it. I'd get some leaves, some dry leaves out the back, and, and my goal was to get the leaves, the bark, and to see if I could get a flame, you know? And you know how you... Did you, did you do this? Was this just me? Uh, you, you'd get the... <laughs> yep, Ananda's there. Yeah, good. Uh, you get the magnifying glass. You know how it focuses it right down until it, the leaves start smoking? And then, the, you know, you see the smoke... And then the, the little red ember just starts to spark. And you're getting excited and you're thinking, yes, I've got this. That's the focus of a magnifying glass. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. This is, the, this is the model for us. Well, yeah, not annoying your sisters, but the, the, the focus of the magnifying glass. Verse 12, he says, Not that I've already obtained all of this. I haven't got there yet. We're not there yet. We're not where we want to be yet. We think God has great things that he wants to do in this city. In this place here, in St. Peter's, in St. Martin's, in Kalara, East Linfield, on the north shore of Sydney. As we read uh, in the book of Acts, when Paul came to Philippi, do you remember when it said that, that the Lord has many in this city? The Lord has many in this city. 
And not that we've got there yet. But there's a transforming process that God is working in believers, in his church. And the apostle says, as I've received the grace of the risen Lord Jesus, as that resurrection power of God has worked in my life, I strain forward. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. There's a single point and focus in his life. And he says, I live as a Christian now, not conformed to this world, but being transformed, as you know, it says in Romans 12. I haven't arrived yet. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, this is the key to getting this right. This is the posture of a Christian. This is the Christian life, Okay. This is how you live as a Christian. This is what God wants you to do. This is what he wants me to do. This is what it looks like for us to press on. You'll see there's two things. It says, we're at point three, if you're following along in the sermon outline there, writing notes. Two things happen at once. One, we've been taken hold of. And two, we take hold. And it's like this. It's like a little father... Sorry, well, it's like a big father. Just imagine this big guy, I don't know, someone you can imagine randomly in your head who picks up, has like a one-year-old that they pick up. Think of a big guy, you know, like maybe with a beard or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, he's, and he's got just like this little one-year-old. And uh, you see him stoop down and pick up his little boy. And that little boy is secure in his arms in the strength, in the love, in the comfort, in the warmth, in the embrace. He might throw him up in the air or anything like that, but no, he's taken hold of him. But you also see at that same moment, that little boy take hold of his dad. And you know how they get their hand and they they wrap their hand just around your thumb like that? That's the picture that we're given here taking hold of that for which they've been taken hold of. That's not what holds them. It's not what holds that little boy to his dad, that holding on to his thumb, is it? It's not what keeps him secure. He's secure because of the loving arms of his father. But he takes hold of that for which Christ, that his father has given for him. What holds us secure in our faith, in our life, in our eternity, is God our father who picks us up, who rescues us, And we press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. And it takes an incredible focus because everything in this life is going to turn us away from God. It's what we call sin. Sin is not just being a little bit naughty. Sin is forgetting about God, isn't it? It's turning our eyes away from God. It's ignoring God. It's going our own way. It's running away from God. It's living for ourselves and not for him. But being in Christian is to have this super intense magnifying glass focus to take hold of that for which the new life that Christ has won for me, that resurrection life that Christ has won for me, that hope that Christ has won for me. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining forward to what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So if we're pressing on 
if we're pressing on to take hold of the prize for which God has called us in Christ, if we put our trust and our hope and set our life on that, these two things are happening at once, aren't they? So he says, we've been taken hold of. See, when you're a Christian, when you, if you're not yet a Christian and you're still working this out and you're coming home, this is how it works. There's this sense that somehow God has taken hold of your life. You realise and you think more deeply, there's got to be more to this. There's that sense that you've been picked up and rescued and so you can take hold. And so the focus that you can now have is like the athlete training for the Olympic gold medal who gets up at every morning at 4am to train, spends all of their day focused on winning the prize, to put everything else in their life under that goal, to forget what's behind, to strain what's forward, to press on toward the goal, to win the prize. The prize is secure. For the Olympic athlete, it may be a bit iffy if you're actually going to get there or there'll be an injury or you might not quite make it. But for the Christian, the prize is certain. And so the Apostle Paul says, there's one thing in my life that truly counts. Now, he was quite an intense sort of guy, wasn't he, Paul? I mean, before he was a Christian, he was out there persecuting Christians, running after them, killing them for the glory of God. Jesus appears to him on the Damascus Road. His life is turned around, it's transformed. He goes from Saul to Paul. And he has an equally intense kind of life as he goes as the apostle to the Gentiles, planting churches through the known world. But he's really just doing what Jesus did. Before he was a Christian, he had an intensity But the focus after he was a Christian was that of a wholehearted disciple of Jesus. And that's what God is calling us to now. A wholehearted discipleship. Because we've been taken hold of. We can no longer say, well, I've been a Christian since I was young. I've always believed it. I was baptised in church. I went to a church school. But it's kind of just a private part of my life. Because if we do that, Christianity is just a part of my life. It's one piece in my life. But to be a Christian, what we learn here is to have your whole life transformed and focused in the direction that God is drawing us. Because we've been taken hold of. Your entire life is gathered up with this intense energy and power and focus, like the magnifying glass. And that is the energy that Paul says is working in my life. That resurrection power of God is not just for when you die. That's what God is working in you now. And he says, I struggle with all the energy so powerfully works in me. We need to actually put effort in. Do you see that there? I struggle with all the energy that he gives me. I strain toward what is ahead. We need to make decisions. We need to commit ourselves and, and sacrifice and... To put Christ first, to have this kind of focus, takes commitment and energy. It doesn't matter what age or stage of life you're at, whether you've just become a Christian or you've been a Christian for 50 years. This process of transformation is what God is working in our life until he calls us home to be with him forever. 
being a Christian is not something that starts with you. It's something that starts upon you. And then if you take hold of this thing that God has taken hold of you, your life will now have a meaning. That's what it is to take hold of, isn't it? So how do you know that this is happening in your life? Or how do you get this in your life? Well, you know because your life becomes more focused. That's what Paul is saying in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived, but my goal is to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took. If that focus is coming into your life, then God is working in your life. You're growing as a Christian. You're maturing, to put it in the words that uh, Mus was uh, sharing with us last week. That maturity is coming because that unity and diversity is working out in that focus as you take hold of Christ. Before, you might have been a bit religious. You might have been a bit casual. You might have been private in one sense with your Christian life. But when you truly grasp the resurrection power of God and what Christ has done for you in the gospel, when that Christ hymn becomes a theme song for your life and you grasp the mercies of God, things start to happen. And your life has a purpose that it never had before. Spiritual seeking's gone, turning, just turning up to church when you feel like it's gone. You might be religious, but you're not a Christian until you sense and see that in your life, that focus, and you take hold of that. So that's the key, isn't it? Taking hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of you. Are you ready to do that this year? Ready to do that together? Christ has taken hold of us so that we can be that focused with that magnifying glass focus to reorient our lives so that, as Paul says, whatever I thought was profit until now, I see as loss. And he'll say, and we'll, we'll discover this as we go ahead in the letter in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Being a Christian is not simply adding a bit of knowledge. It's not getting a bit of help. It's not being a slightly nicer person. It's not just going to church or taking a course or anything like that. Everything is becoming new and your whole life is being revolutionised with the focus and the intensity of a magnifying glass. And so, brothers and sisters, my final encouragement is to say nothing is worth losing this focus. Verse 14. Don't forget this. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, I know sometimes we turn to the Bible when there's a crisis. We look up the Psalms and we find something that will help us. It's good, isn't it? You find a psalm of comfort. And you know that you're not alone and that God's with you. And you read the truth and it shines out and you find hope. But friends, how do we let that focus not just be where we turn to God when so things go bad, but how do we let that be our daily focus in everything? To move beyond the intellectual to the whole of our lives to be so dissatisfied with our knowledge of God that we want to know him deeper and deeper and deeper every day and let that drive where I go and where we go. And so my challenge is, how do we not lose focus? I want you to think about those things in your life. That What is it that might make you lethargic as a Christian? What is it that might take you away from what God wants you to be doing? What is it that might distract you this year? Because there's nothing worth losing this focus. The power of the resurrection 
transforms lives. Amen.